You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Tim Brooks. I got a few things to talk about. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. We're in lesson 6. I know that many of the past few lessons sound the same. I mean, we've been going over and over the same point, and many of these last few lessons sound exactly the same. And the reason that they sound the same is that they are. There was a difficult transition between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and that difficulty is still present today in making that switch. They were having a very hard time understanding, and today we still are having a very hard time understanding grace, God's unmerited favor, God just forgiving us and paying the price and the debt for sin, and, and still living holy and living right and obeying the law. We have a hard time marrying those two concepts. Before Jesus... Mankind's only approach to God was by keeping all of the law. Well, the problem that we had for 4,000 years is mankind couldn't keep all of the law. So God sent the promise, Jesus, his substitutionary death for us. He, Jesus, his substitutionary death made you and I right before God. And I want to make sure that our church understands you are made right before God through Jesus. And it's the same Jesus that made you right before God as any TV preacher on TV. You are as right before God as they are. Now, I don't mind if you call one of those uh, prayer lines and have some televangelist pray for you. The, the, The Bible talks about get people to pray for you. I'm not against that. I don't want you thinking they're closer to God than you are. Don't ever think that somebody is closer to God than you are because they know the Bible better or because they know Hebrew or Greek or because they can stand up in front of a crowd and talk. Don't think that they are closer to God than you are. It's Jesus that makes all of us right with God. And I want you to understand that because I want you, when you're driving your car down the road by yourself or when you're at home and you're doing the dishes and you begin to pray in the Spirit, I want you to know God hears you. God hears you because of Jesus. And I want, our, I want the members of this church to know God hears you. All right, God sent the promise, Jesus, his substitutionary death made us right with God, okay, So now where is the law? All right, so where does that leave the law? And still today, many pastors just don't get it. We've got some big name, very popular pastors, preachers today that are teaching that Jesus forgave sin. It's forgiven. So just go live like you want to. Give in to the carnal nature, give in to the desires of the flesh, just do whatever you want to do because Jesus forgave sin. Okay, you're missing what Galatians is talking about. You're missing when you preach that, God, Jesus loves everybody, Jesus forgives everybody, so you can just live in sin. According to the Bible, 
I'm glad that I'm not standing here telling people their sin is okay with God. Because the way I read the Bible, it says God hates it. And I'm not going to stand before a congregation of people and tell you that grace is a license to live like you want to live in order for me to build a big mega church. We're not going to do that here. The folks that are members here are going to be folks that agree with the Word of God. And it being the final authority in their life. I'm telling you, if you missed Sunday morning, Josh taught this the best you'll ever hear it taught. I'm going to make a feeble attempt at going through these next few verses. But now Josh cleared this up. You got to hear what he did on Sunday. It was, it was outstanding. But the Apostle Paul goes over and I thought the whole time Josh was preaching, well, that's great. You're up here on Sunday morning preaching because now it's my turn to preach this again on Wednesday night. I've got to pick up and go right over what you just did. So here we go. The Apostle Paul continues to go over and over and over this, saying it every way he can say it because we have such a hard time getting it. So I'm going to go over it again. There are four statements that are made in chapter 3, verse 15 through 29. This is just real Bible study right here. For those who like real Bible study, you're going to love this because this is real. This is the meat of the word. There are four statements made right here that I want us to look at. Here's what Paul is saying to clear up this dilemma. Verse 15 through 18, the law of Moses cannot change the promise of Jesus. Verse 19 through 20, I want us to see the law of Moses is not greater than the promise of Jesus. Verse 21 through 26, the law of Moses is not against the promise of Jesus. And verse 27 through 29, the law of Moses cannot do what the promise of Jesus does. Let's get started Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child, and notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Okay, the law of Moses does not change the promise, or some of your translations say the agreement. The word promise or the word agreement is used eight times in this section that we're looking at. And this promise that he's talking about is the promise of us now being justified by faith. Paul shows we are made right with God through our faith in God. Abraham did not make a covenant with God. I want everybody to know that. Abraham did not make a covenant with God. God made a covenant with Abraham. See, God did this thing. 
God did not lay down any conditions for Abraham to have to meet. In fact, is in Genesis 15, Abraham was asleep when God made this covenant with him. It was a covenant of grace. It was a covenant of grace that God made with Abraham. God made this promise to Abraham. Abraham didn't make any promise to God. Satan's whole goal through the Old Testament was to keep the seed, which is Christ, from being born into the world. Because Satan knew full well that one day God's son would come and crush his head. That was a promise from the very beginning. Okay, verse 15. Once two parties conclude or make an agreement, cut a covenant, a third party can't come along and change that agreement. God made the covenant with Abraham through Christ. So only God the Father and God the Son were the ones that made this covenant with Abraham. What Paul is showing here, don't get lost, it, it, you got to think this through, but what Paul is showing here is Moses cannot come in years later and alter that covenant. Moses came along after this agreement with God and Abraham that was made on Abraham's faith. Well, then Moses coming in with the law doesn't alternate uh, uh, that covenant that God made with Abraham. See, the Judaizers wanted to say, if you're going to come to know the Lord, then you have to do these certain things. They said, no, if you're going to come to know the Lord, you've got to accept the blood of Jesus. Now, that's the bottom line. How do we know that a person is justified? Or that word means made right with God. How do we know that? How do we know that? Verse 16. Because God made the covenant. How do we know it? Because God made the covenant. Well, I hope. Are you going to heaven? Well, I hope. Are you right with God? Well, Tim, nah, I hadn't been perfect today. Are you right with, are you, do you stand right with God? Well, you know, I had, it doesn't depend on you. God made this and you didn't. God did this. Now, the important thing to get a hold of, and here's what the, 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 the religious Jews at this time were missing, is who was Abraham's seed? Okay, the, the, the word here, or child, some of your translations say seed, is not plural. It's singular. Therefore, God is making it with a single person. Who is that seed? That seed is Jesus. See, the whole Old Testament shows us Jesus. That's the seed that he's talking about. So to be a part of this promise, we accept that seed, which is Jesus. Okay, 17 and 18, 430 years, Paul is counting from the time Jacob went into Egypt until the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. The point is, the law was given centuries later. That doesn't change the covenant made between God and Abraham. Well, the law of Moses was greater. It was more glorious, is their argument. Okay, verse 19 through 20. Now let's look at this. Verse 19 through 20. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise 
to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was now the mediator between God and people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. The law is not greater than the promise that God gave to Abraham. The law does not justify or make a person right before God. It was given to reveal sin. Now, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. Why was the law given? See, the law was greater than the promise of Jesus. Well, the reason they're saying this is because if you'll remember in Exodus 19, when God gave the law, we're talking about thunder and lightning, and I'm talking about that rock split, and the finger of God came and rode on this thing. God cut the covenant with Abraham while he was asleep in his tent. There was no thunder, no lightning. So, wow, the giving of the law is much greater. Well, the Jews were impressed with all the emotional external things, lightning and thunder and ground shaking and woo, woo, woo. Hold on. That was temporary. That was temporary, verse 19. It was temporary, and it was only to hold us until the seed could come. Obviously, temporary can't be greater than permanent. Now, when you read God's covenant with Abraham, you find no ifs in that covenant. Here's what I'm going to do. That's what God said. Nothing was conditional because it was all grace. Now, the law required a mediator, verse 18 through 20. When God gave the law... He did it by means of angels through the mediation of Moses. Verse 19, the nation received the law third hand from God to angels to Moses. But when God made his covenant with Abraham, he did it personally. The law was temporary. The law was temporary. That's why it required a mediator. The covenant of the promise is, is permanent. Now, the point being here. There is only one conclusion. The covenant we're in with God is greater than the law. And we got to know that. See, this transfer from the old covenant to the new covenant, it's not easy. On one side, we don't need to accept Jesus. We don't need to have anything to do with that imposter. All we need is the law of Moses. Paul is showing over and over and over, Jesus is greater than the law of Moses. The law of Moses was just temporary. It was to hold us. Okay, all right? You've convinced me. Jesus is greater. Then let's just do away with the law. The law is not contrary to the promise. Okay, so see, we, we, we got to go back and forth to get this. All right, you've convinced me. Jesus is greater. Do away with the Mosaic law. Verse 21. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promise? Absolutely not. What's the matter with you? If the law could give us new life, we would be made right with God by obeying it. 
But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith is revealed. Okay, hold on. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian. Some of your translations say tutor. Some of it say schoolmaster. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer lead the law as our guardian, for you're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, let's talk about this because this is profound. The law is not contrary to the promise. The law is not against the promises of God. Okay, why was the law given? He says the law was not given to provide life. The law was given to regulate life. It was given to control life. It was not given to give us spiritual life. In life and righteousness. No, let me say this. If life could have come through the law, Jesus would never have to die on the cross. But we couldn't have life and life more abundant through don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. That doesn't bring life and joy to people. Don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. Jesus brings life. Okay, then why did we give the law? Okay, verse 19 and through 22. The law was given to reveal sin. Okay, let me explain it this way. A little boy gets on his bicycle, he's going over to his friend's house, so he cuts through the neighbor's yard. He just cuts through the neighbor's yard. He just cuts through the neighbor's yard. He just cuts through the neighbor's yard. He cuts through the neighbor's yard. Well, after doing this, three or four or five or a hundred times a day, all of a sudden the grass is dead. All of a sudden there's a big rut there, and he just keeps cutting through the neighbor's yard. One day, the neighbor puts up a sign, no bicycles in this yard. Was it wrong for the boy to ride his bicycle through that guy's yard before the law? Yes, it was wrong. But what did the sign do? It showed him it was wrong. See, is it wrong to steal? Well, yes, thou shalt not steal. What does that do? It shows you that's wrong. See, the law reveals sin. It, it was wrong to do it, but the law revealed sin. Now that we've got the law, I know I'm not supposed to do that. Here's what Paul is teaching us. The, the wrong way or the unlawful way to use the law is try to achieve salvation by keeping the law. Okay, you can't achieve salvation by keeping the law. The lawful way to use the law is to show you your sinfulness and point you to Jesus. See, that's what the law does. When I read, don't steal, and I've been stealing, then I feel guilty, and so I need to go to Jesus and get forgiveness. Without the law, I wouldn't go to get forgiveness from Jesus because I don't need Jesus. I ain't doing nothing wrong except you're stealing. See, the law shows us our need for Jesus. Okay, let's use this word here in 23 through 26. The law was given to prepare the way for Jesus 
the word he uses, and some of your translations says tutor, some say schoolmaster, some of your translations say guardian. All right, the guardian is not the child's father. The guardian does not give life to the child. The guardian is just to prepare and to train the school teacher. Didn't give life to the kid, but it just trains the kid. Okay, that's what the law does. The law trains you until you no longer need a guardian. Okay, well, but we don't do away with it. See, we don't do away with it. Those, let me explain it this way. Those don't know Jesus need the law. It's their guardian. Thou shalt not steal. All right, here, Jason's right here on the front row every Sunday and every Wednesday night. I know that. I know that. So it would be very easy for me to get Josh or Paul to preach. And while they're preaching, I go over to Jason's house and steal his TV and a bunch of his stuff. Okay, I can't do that because there's a law that says don't go over there's his house and steal. Now, that law keeps me from going over to his house and steal because I know I'll be punished if I do. That's not better than Jesus. When I ask Jesus to come into my heart, I love Jason. I pray for Jason on a regular basis. I appreciate all that he does for this body. I don't want to go over to his house and steal. So I no longer need the law. Okay, then the law's done away with. No, 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 no. There's still a law that says don't go steal. I'm just no longer controlled by that law. Okay, is that making sense to you? See, when you come to know Jesus, you're no longer controlled by the law, but the law is still there. What does the law do? It controls those people who don't know Jesus. I just got a real bad attitude. I go over and break in his house, and I steal anyway. What's the law do? Make you feel guilty. Well, see, if we didn't have the law, I wouldn't feel guilty. No. What does the law do? Make you feel guilty. So I go and ask Jesus to forgive me, to wash me clean. I go and take all of Jason's stuff back. I get right with Jason. I get right before God. Why did I do that? Because the law made me feel guilty. So is the law a good thing? Well, it depends if you need it. When you come to know Jesus, you live under a higher law. See, Jesus is better than the law of Moses. Okay, then let's do away with the law of Moses. No. When you get Jesus and wash clean of your sin, then you don't go out and live in adultery. You go out stealing. You go out lying. You go out cheating because he's forgiven me. No, 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 no. Are, are you getting what Paul is explaining here? The law is still there and the law is still good. It's just no longer my guardian now that I know Jesus. Does that mean I'm perfect? No, I still mess up. I still make mistakes, but I don't want to. See, I no longer want to figure out when Jason is going to be gone so that I can go and steal stuff from his house. I don't want to. Why? Because the law says don't steal. No, I don't want to because of the love of Jesus in my heart. See, the law don't live this lifestyle. That guards your heart until you accept Jesus, and then you don't want to live that lifestyle. That's what we're explaining here. 
The ultimate goal in verse 22 was Jesus coming. Because Jesus brings life. See, I'm in life. I'm in peace because I love Jason and I pray for him. And see, that makes me happy and I'm in peace. It's a, the law. Don't you steal his TV or I'll get you. See, there's no life in the law, but the law is your guardian until you come to know Jesus. And then you live right because of the love of Jesus in your heart. Verse 23, before life came, we were imprisoned by the law. But that doesn't mean that the law was bad. Matthew 19, remember the rich young ruler? Jesus, what do I do? Jesus said, go keep the law. Man, I've done that. I've, I've done that. See, the rich young ruler was frustrated because he didn't have life because he was trying to keep all of the law outside of coming to a born-again experience where he knows Jesus, where now you are controlled and governed by the love of Jesus that's in your heart. Parents, school teachers, grandparents, we've got to get our kids to Jesus. You can't control them by the law because as soon as you turn your back, then they're going to twist off. You get them to Jesus, then they're no longer controlled by the law. See, when you don't get your kids to Jesus, then they're only controlled by the law. You get Jesus in their heart, then the teenager wants to serve the Lord, wants to follow God, wants to please God, and that's what we're trying to do. In children's church, in youth group, in our junior high group, we've got 40, 50 kids in children's church right now. I don't know, 10, 12, 15 in junior high right now. What are we trying to do? Don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't. No, no, no. What we're trying to do is get them to come to know Jesus so that then Jesus carries them through life and they're controlled by him, not controlled by don't do this and don't do that. Are there things we don't want them to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the don'ts won't control them and bring life. But Jesus will. Jesus will. That's why it's so important that we get our kids to Jesus. The last section, verse 27 through 29. If I was Josh, I'd say y'all are holding me up. And all those who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham, and you are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Okay, the law of Moses cannot do what the promise of Jesus can. Man was separated from God. There was a veil that separated us from the Holy of Holies, from the dwelling place of God, from God's presence. Now, the word it's interesting to me that he uses, faith in Jesus baptizes us in Christ. That word is interesting. When you look it up, it comes from the word baptizo. And that word was a word that they used in dipping their cloth into dye. When they made all those outfits and all the clothes that they made, they would dip cloth into dye. That was to baptizo. 
I, I just, I, I love that word because it means that dye wasn't on the outside of the cloth. That dye ran all the way through the thread. And so when you dipped it in red or you dipped it in blue, it wasn't blue on the outside of the cloth. It was blue all the way through that cloth. That's what baptizo means. So he says, we are baptized in Christ. We don't have Jesus on our outside. We're not just wearing a cross necklace and a cross earring here. Jesus permeates all the way through us. And that's what it means to put on or be baptized in him. Verse 28, our race, our political status, our gender is not changed at conversion. When he says there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, that, that, that's not changed at conversion. It just says there's no value in it one way or another. It doesn't make you any better or any worse to be a man, to be a woman, to be this a Jew, to be, a, to be black, to be white, to be Chinese. It, there's no advantage in any of that. You've been baptized in Christ. And so I don't see you as a white Christian and you over here as a black Christian and you over here as a Chinese Christian. When you are baptized in Christ, then there are no distinctions among us and that settles the racial issues. That settles the gender issues. That's what it does. So we're no longer struggling for black rights and white rights. I don't need any white rights or black rights. We need Jesus. We need Jesus, and all of us are one, not because of a distinction in skin color. All of us are one, not because of a gender difference. All of us are one because we've been baptized in Jesus. And that's what it means to experience baptism in Jesus. It's not just going down front and repeating a little deal at the end of a sermon and taking the preacher's hand. It's being baptized in him and then I like verse 29, you are an heir. Your life takes on a different meaning when you understand you are an heir. You are an heir to the promise of God. Y'all stand. Church, it's absolutely vital. I love our Sunday mornings. I love our feel-good messages. I love our emotional times. I, I love those times. It's vital that we understand the Word of God. It's vital that we understand God's theology because without that, you'll get drifted way off into something that tickles your itching ears and you'll wander into every wing of... I mean, no telling where we'll end up as individuals and no telling where we'll end up as a church. That's why we have to stay to the Word of God. That's why we have to stay committed to God's Word. And that's why it's important that we have these kind of Bible studies. Whew, that was a lot. Too many churches don't take a lot. They don't take time to get a lot. And we've got to understand this or we're going to continue to fight. Men and women fighting against for gender supremacy. We're going to get different colors fighting for different supremacy. Uh, when we come to know Jesus, it changes everything for us. And you understand, we're all an heir to the promise of God. Father, we thank you for your word of direction to us tonight. We honor you. We follow you. Our hand is in your hand and our feet are in your word. 
We base our life on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.